welcome to another episode of Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast that tackles the vendor-customer relationship. I'm George K. with the vendor side. And I'm George A., a Chief Information Security Officer. And today's guest, we could not be happier, is the one, the only, Erica Eakins, another representative from the vendor side who's brave enough to step into the ring. Erica, I believe both of us are connected on LinkedIn. We run in some of the same circles, have some of the friends. That being said, could you give us a short background on how you started in cyber and, and on the sales side? Yeah, thank you. I'm really excited to be here for everybody. I'm Erica Eakins. I've been in the industry since 2011. Um, I was working in customer service and, you know, kind of just project management before I found the industry. And one of my customers came to me and said, at the time, he said, you'd be amazing at sales. And he's like, I know a guy where you can make a ton of money. And I was like, I'd never do sales. Well, I met a guy in the cyber industry. He was one of the very first uh, sales reps in the Midwest with Palo Alto Networks before they IPO'd. So mm. he IPO'd with them. And I'm well, I met him before they IPO'd and I got to know the reins a little bit. He kind of mentored me and he kind of showed me where I should start my journey. So that was the reseller side. He introduced me to some fun people. I lived in Chicago at the time and uh, the rest is history. Here I am. Oh, wow. That was, that was a good time to start in cyber. Um, yeah. yeah. So we are just going to get into it. You're on the vendor side, which means yeah. the CISO gets first crack. Over to you, George. Thanks, George. So, Erica, uh, I first noticed you when I began seeing some of the greater marketing communities that uh, George K was connected to. And you were engaging with us. Uh, your podcast, The Cyber Queen, is a great platform to talk about the business side of cyber um, with an, uh, an equity or sorry, an, well, equity or equality centered approach. Um, mm -hmm. I really liked your recent episodes on personal branding and the strengths and weaknesses of Gen Z, by the way. I have a really hard Thank time you. finding people to hire and like retain who are Gen Zers. And that's a whole other conversation. Um, so tell me, and no need to name names on this. But for the context of our show, what are some of the best and worst client executive interactions that you've had based on both their integrity and respect towards you and other women in cyber generally? <laughs> when, as you were uh, explaining this question, I, I'm laughing because the 100% worst experience I ever had, it was my first job in the industry. I worked on the reseller side, so I wasn't on the vendor side yet, but mm. I was the first one to you know meet the customer. I go to a meeting with a vendor. He worked for Palo Alto at the time, and we were in Chicago. It was a large, large um, investment firm. So we sit down with the, the chief procurement officer and the chief procurement officer is not paying any attention to the vendor at all. He's just dead staring me in the eyes. And in the middle of the, the vendor's pitch, he asked me what I look like naked because he was undressing me with his eyes. Get what? the fuck out. <laughs> no. Oh. Hold on. It gets worse. What? He asked me, do I wear slingback shoes, stilettos, or do I just drop to my knees? What, um, what? what the fuck? That's bananas. What fucking is this? <laughs> so the vendor rep is like his his mouth drops, and he, the, the guy that I went on 
on this meeting with from the vendor side was kind of a pimp player at the time. He was like, you know, was with lots of women, he had a lot of money. And he's, he's like, dude, I am super fucking offended to the customer. And he's like, you're done. We're out of here. And then the guy whips his man part out. And needless to say, that got back to my employer at the time. And my employer fired him as a customer because they were a customer. It was just a net new deal. He's, they filed har- sexual harassment charges against him. Wait, so these are, these are adults like working in North America. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is, a, this is a chief procurement officer. How is that? I'm just like, we had, we had things to talk about and like George and I are just dumbstruck. Like I don't even, my brain like refuses to compute that that's a thing that happens, but I am, I am extremely sorry that that happened to you. You know what? The other, another one that happened a month later was a director of security who's up to be a CISO at a, uh, another financial firm. I won't say what type of financial firm we were, we did a dinner and we had a happy hour and he was really wasted. They stayed my customer for a really long time. They mm. ended up firing this guy. And he, he walked towards me like this with his hands. And he said, I, I think you're a double D and I'm like, I slapped him. Oh, and then he got like really belligerent with me and he, he had to be escorted out of the restaurant, but needless to say that gentleman got fired. So this was my first job in the industry that was 2012. So if you can imagine, you know, 10 years, 11 years later, I yeah, have I mean, I was just so about to many ask, stories. I was just about to ask, what year was this? And I'm, I, I guess I'm both surprised and not that it was 10 years ago and also incredibly disheartened. I, I, I do want to say, I guess thank you for staying in the industry because this is not uh, – a warm welcome by any means and the fact that you <laughs> that you stayed is you know women got to put up with a lot of shit and uh just the level of tolerance that you have to do and and maintain um is a lot and i i totally understand that that must take a toll after a time it still happens though La- in september one of my business partners i won't name her name but she somebody went up to her a CISO went up to her and said you know, cause she's very, uh, visible on social media. And mm. I was standing right next to her. This CISO comes and he's, he says, all you do is fucking sexualize cybersecurity. We don't need hoes like you. And what I flipped out. I, <laughs> this was September of this year in I mean, the Colorado region. Oh, I mean, so I just threw up a little bit in my mouth, but, um, <laughs> I, uh, I feel very violent good. right now. Yes, but I guess no. there, it's it's just that they the gall that you have to have to feel like you can even speak to another human being that way is just it's again unfathomable. Well, the me. other thing too, man, like that's that's at like the human level, but it's also like professionalism, which is like your livelihoods on the line. That that to me demonstrates like a complete lack of accountability for behavior or action, and like yep. you know full disclosure and like. You guys can obviously look us up on LinkedIn. You know where we're at for work. I work for an online dating company, right? Like mm-hmm. my whole purpose and being professionally is facilitating safe spaces for people to meet, interact, and, and you know whatever. Um, I just can't imagine in a million years. And we have tons of women that work in our company, and I work with tons of women who are suppliers, who are working in various roles, who are sales engineers, or even technical engineers. Um, I just it's just not like 
I can't, man, I can't get over it. I'm like, what the, what the no. fuck, dude? Like, if so I'm sitting me, in the room let, with that guy, like, what the fuck? Let me shed some light on this. So, it, and this is, this doesn't make it okay, but there are vendor reps that are female that sleep with customers and, you know, um, other vendors. Whoa. And there is some of those shenanigans going on, but that still doesn't make it okay. But the individual who tried to touch my um, feminine part, he, uh, <laughs> He was sleeping with a bit nine rep at the time. So, she, you know, she was a vendor rep. Bit nine is a vendor. And he just assumed that I was going to be like that, too. Mm. And it's almost like if you're pretty and I'm not, you know, boasting myself, but it almost seems like if you're pretty, it's assumed that you're a hoe. That you sleep your way yeah. to the top. We talk about this on the Cyber Queens, too. Yeah, I mean. Uh, I have I heard some stories at RSA this year that left me, uh, you know, just ice in my veins. Another reseller rep had the same thing happen to her. And it puts them in an awful position being on the sales side, because if yeah. your integrity is called into question, one, especially if you're dealing with um, really big enterprises, there's a whole bunch of legal implications that you could get wrapped up in. But I think what I was more upset was to hear how her reseller dealt with it, which was to, you know, like send her, the victim, to like, you know, mandated counseling. And says, but she did, she's mm -hmm. not the offender. Um, anyway. That is, ah, uh, it's a good thing you lift weights because you got to choke some steel <laughs> to get some of that anger. Well, out. and during, I will tell you, during the time that this happened, the 2012 incidents, I was actively competing. So I was way more ripped than I am right now. So you mm -hmm. can visibly tell that I could kick some ass. And it just, I, I, I can't even, I can't fathom these things that have happened. And it, it's, people are like, oh my gosh, how are you not emotionally like, done with this industry, it, it, there is good to it. Some of these mm -hmm. guys that I've done business with from 2012 to last month till now, I have some really good male friends. I've gone to dinner at their houses with their wife and kids and their family. And they invite me to personal mm -hmm. events. Like there's some here in Colorado that invite me to things on the weekend. And there's a lot of good, but the motivation a lot of the times, and I, I think you guys are going to ask me another question um, so, with something that I'm going to talk about a little bit is there is motivation sometimes behind wh why they take meetings with me versus one of my coworkers. I will say though, oh. um, like my, my girlfriend's a personal trainer uh, in the fitness industry is the exact same. It's funny because the parallels between your experience and her experience dealing with other male managers or other male PTs or certain male clients are the exact same thing. Like the amount of, you know, I'm not going to speak out of turn for, for her, her career, but she's not here, but like, the amount of sexual harassment issues she's had to deal with for the entirety of her career, just because she happens to be an in-shape woman, high confidence in a highly visible role. It's like, you got a target on your back. Like it's not. Yeah. yeah. I think that, I think that confidence is a threat and like misogyny is the way they deal with it. I don't want to do so much arm, armchair psychology. I will say, mm -hmm. Eric, if we run into each other at RSA, Black Hat, any other event, and if I'm in the room and such a thing happens, I don't need to defend you, but I will gladly join you in hurting that individual <laughs> because it's, I appreciate not, that. it's not going to happen. It's just gross. Um, but <laughs> I, I do want to, I do want to move on to more of your expertise because I think you bring a unique story to the vendor side. So 
um, I want to change tack here. In in some of your panel discussions, particularly with Danny Wolf and Chris Roberts, you have mentioned um, that you came up through sales, but you have been learning the technical aspects through your career. And so I have a two-part question. And the first question is, I'd love to know how you started on that technical learning journey. Um, and then I'll, I'll follow up with another question. So I became super interested. I, for me, I didn't realize that I was a nerd at heart when I came into the industry. And in my first job, I didn't know what anybody was talking about. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can BS my way through a lot of stuff, but some of the stuff that I, I just didn't understand, it was like a different language. So I started mm. learning data center, networking, everything that makes, you know, cyber, you know, uh, external, internal security, insider threats. I started learning all about it because it helps me. It helped me in my career and my ability to talk shop with a lot of the guys that I was meeting. I also had to do it out of force because they thought I was stupid. So they mm -hmm. assume that I you know, I'm just a salesperson who's a hot chick who thinks that I can do whatever I want. They don't realize that I, at the time coming into the industry, I had two master's degrees. That doesn't matter because, you know, you sit down with a technical person, he, they would test me. And a lot of times they stumped me. So I started mm -hmm. learning. I kind of learned backwards. I learned cyber first and then everything after that networking, all of that, um, because I geared towards cyber immediately. And I, Anytime it's a, a new product or a new company, I take my uh, solution architect or sales engineer and I sit him down and I say, explain this to me like I'm a, a five-year-old or like the book for dummies, because mm -hmm. I need to understand this when a customer talks to me, what they're talking about and to be able to respond if you're not in the room. Because a lot of the times my SEs don't get engaged on the first couple of meetings and customers info vomit. So I don't know what, yeah. I wouldn't, didn't know what they were talking about. So I started learning it just through doing and sitting with my technical teams. I went to professional services, learned all of that. I started reading books and now I'm at a point where I could fully architect a entire like, you know, solution, whether it's like firewalling or, mm. you know, like right now I sell cloud native application protection platform. So DevOps, DevSecOps, which is something that I had to learn when I went to work for my current employer. So it was a little bit of selfishness so I can make more money and, and earn respect because I have to prove myself as a woman not as, you know, I have to prove myself more than a man does. And I, I don't mean that as a disrespect towards the male um, gender, but I, I'm not as trusted. So now I'm it's at okay. the point where I'm I, actually- I do, I do mean that as disrespect. So if you're listening, <laughs> I, that is me disrespecting that nonsense. But that is, that is awesome. I want to say, um, just before you got on, George and I were just talking about initiative and curiosity, right? We can't teach- curiosity but the fact that you were like okay a uh, whole bunch of acronyms coming at me whole bunch of abbreviations and they are you know come at me bro with these uh this lingo because they're intentionally trying to trip me up i'm going to meet them there yes. that is that's awesome so how do you um employ this the technical knowledge like through the sales cycle you did mention that maybe that first call or that first meeting you don't have an se with you so you kind of got to be able to hold your own i know that resonates with <laughs> george a because we talked about it on the first uh podcast but yeah how do, just like explain how you kind of pull that into your into your sales process well first i have to know the product i'm selling so i i 
like right now on the vendor side, you don't have multiple products on the reseller side. You have to learn a huge product line card. Any mm-hmm. employer I go to, I, I learn the technology. I, I get to a point where I could even almost fully demo the product. What I sell right now is so, so much deeper. I don't know DevSecOps as much, but I have to understand what my product is. Mm-hmm. Once I understand what my product is, I, I, I cycle that into my pitch as well as learning about my customers. So I do a ton of research on my customers because I'm on the enterprise level. So these are mm-hmm. huge companies I'm dealing with. So I learn about them and how every how it would work in their company. I don't assume that they need what I have because that's a, a big problem in sales, but it helps me to ask appropriate questions such as probing questions, trying to understand if there's a project. Once I understand if there's a project, how my product would work for them mm-hmm. after I get enough information. So it, I wrap it into everything that I do from the moment I go after an account. Because if I go so and talk awesome. to a CISO, he's going to be like, why, why do I care? I, I do have to know business objectives and understand mm-hmm. all of that. And I learn a lot of it has to do with learning like what the company's going through, reading their annual reports, all of that. Dude, some music to my ears. <laughs> like that's that's music to as a guy who has to listen to a lot of pitches. Most of them usually pretty bad. Um, mm-hmm. That's brilliant. Like and like I, I coach a bunch of sales folks up here in Canada as well, and I try to tell Good. them like step one: learn your product, learn your absolute product. Because if there's one thing that any decent CISO or any decent procurement person will tell you, they don't want to listen to a script. And if it sounds to me like you're just reading off a script and the second I throw any bit of a, of a beyond service level question at you and you're like, I don't know where my engineer is, <laughs> I, how can I believe anything you say? So the fact that you take that attention to detail, um, you are a model for how I think folks who are getting into sales and learning how to go from product to product or company to company, that's how it needs to be done. And I love that you, you just logically understand that. Yeah. Thank you. And don't get me wrong. In the beginning of my career, like I made a lot of mistakes and whatever. As I grew in my career, I had to understand, but I learned how to sell consultatively from my first job because I worked for a really good reseller and they had like a huge services practice. And so I learned that I was lucky. I learned that not all salespeople that come in learn that, but I've, I also ask for feedback over the last 10 years. I'm like, you know, how could I have done something better? And I don't always get answers, but the good ones, the customers that actually either don't want you to bother them anymore or like want to just get this across to salespeople, they will tell you like, hey, this is what you could have done better. You know, I I recently just lost a deal and the customer said to me, it's nothing that, you know, you're the company you work for did wrong. We think you're a leader. It's just that it was a business decision to not rip and replace what we currently have because it's too expensive. That kind of stuff, you know, that's a sales music to my ears because you told me it wasn't my product or my pitch. It was that you guys just mm-hmm. were told you had to stay with what you own today. That's actually a really good segue kind of into the next question I want to ask you was, you know, if there's one thing I've noticed about you, you clearly have a uh, superior sense of emotional intelligence. Like you have a solid ability to read your audience in the room, if you will. Thank you. Um, based on your experience, how can you tell when you're dealing with someone who's playing hardball, but is still fair with you versus someone who's clearly more of a sneaky Dickens and is trying not to really take advantage of you or is simply disregarding you altogether? So this is going to sound really corny. I do have a very good keen sense. I can tell within 10 seconds of meeting somebody for the first time, if they are serious with me, they are going to be seriously buying from me. 
taking me down the process or just if they're dicking me around basically. Mm. So that is a little bit of like my sixth sense, but customers that are playing hard. (laughs) I I will call it a superpower. That's my superpower. Um, Customers that play hardball, but are, are still engaging. It's all about asking the, the right questions. And when I say right questions, I flat out ask, are we going to do a deal or not? Do you have budget? I mean, these are questions that people just cannot ask in sales. And it, it blows my mind that you can say, hey, you can't say, hey, let's be real for a second. I want what's best for you. And I want what's best for me. You want what's best for you. And, or, and, or you want me to leave you alone. Let's be real. Let's stop playing games here. And I don't say it in such a mean way. It's just bluntly asking them, what are your initiatives? What what it what would make you want to put my product in? So I interview them back. Um, sometimes I don't always get those answers because you know people are sneaky and they they've taken me through the sales cycle and just at the end of the day said, nope, I'm not going to buy from you. Those people are just dickheads. You're never going to be able to like change a person like that. But it's all about just asking questions and not playing games. I don't mm-hmm. play the games that a lot of the vendors want to play. Well, if you don't buy this quarter, I'm taking discounts away. I actually advocate for my customer and tell them if my at the end of the quarter, if my boss calls you, text me or don't answer. Call me because I almost play the customer side and I'm against my employer, not in an, in an unethical way, but in a way that my customer trusts me because I build that trust. Mm-hmm. And still to this day, vendors don't understand that it's all about relationship selling and just asking questions Bingo. that are not like tricky. Like, I'm not going to go and ask all these questions about, well, when you're, what are your objectives and overcoming the quest- customer's objectives and using Sandler methods and medic. And these are all great methodologies. I just treat them like humans. Yeah. I mean, that's a rare gift, apparently. Um, apparently. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I would say, you know, what stands out to me is, you know, George and I met at Black Hat and it was like sort of the first time that I it was my in my experience that someone was just willing to acknowledge the game. He was like, hey, let's meet. We'll talk. We'll see if we can spin something up. But I hadn't had that level of candor before. And I do think yeah. that it's uh, at some point it's worth just, and sometimes you may be giving them an out. Maybe they don't feel comfortable. Like they want your product, but they've been told from above, can't do anything about it. And they're like uncomfortable about like, Oh, but I've, but if we've gone down, you know, six months of whatever. And if you just ask them, you can, you can give them that, that escape hatch. But yes, I think we just have to acknowledge the dance. I mean, this is, this is what we're doing. Yeah. And again, I, I'm, my methodologies and the way I do things are way different than anybody else. And they're like, like you, like you said in your question, how do you tell the difference? Sometimes you just can't. And those people are jerks. <laughs> you don't waste your time with them next time around. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is all about relationships because, um, you know, if, if you, uh, the stakes are high from the vendor side, because if you burn one account, you know, they're going to tell all their friends and you've essentially burned your territory or you're starting down that path. Uh, and the and the reverse is true too. If if that person gets a reputation for being somebody who just jerks vendors around, like eventually they're going to need a piece of tech, and people just kind of don't want to deal with them. And the other thing too, it, it helps you out. Like, look, if you focus on building a good relationship with your clients or potential clients, at least like outside of the sales cycle, because I have some folks who some of their solutions, like you know, it's just it's interesting. I like them. 
but like it just doesn't fit into the budgetary plan this year or whatever. But my interaction with that sales individual was really, really good. And like I assess their trust for the individual, we go along, you know, if you like me as, as a CISO, I'm connected to a ton of other folks who are decision makers across multiple sectors and industry. I know this person now, I'm going to start referring them, which I've done to multiple friends and I've helped them close other sales. And I also know that when the time comes that I can buy their product or if they go to a different company and I like their mm-hmm. product there, like I have organizations yeah. who I have <clears throat> like technical relationships with across multiple employers through my entire career. Like as soon as I landed a new shop, I'm like, oh, do I have the budget to get this? Cool. Right on. And I call my friends again. So that's like See? the way it works in cyber. Yeah. Yeah. And people don't realize that when you only show up for the sale or like when you think you could get a sale, that customers remember that. So I'm, I'm doing stuff that even for people that I've never sold to and have been trying to sell to for years, there's accounts in Colorado because that's where I'm located that I've never sold to. But these guys are like really good friends of mine because I show up. I like them as people and they they never come to my dinners when I want to, you know, when my boss wants me to have a dinner or whatever, they never show up. But if I call them right now and say, hey, what do you think about this technology? They would totally have a conversation with me and they've never bought from me. But, you know, I'll show up to their kid's soccer game. It's not just about, making money. And that's where salespeople go wrong. Yes, you're here to make money and you have a number, but it's a little bit of, of the, the industry has an issue because the investors, the, um, the VCs, they just want to push, 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 and they don't want to give the sales reps time to build a territory and relationships. It takes a good 12 to 18 months to build a territory from scratch. Yeah. And that's, um, and also your worth as a seller is going to go up because you essentially bring that Rolodex with you. I love that term. I say it all the time. I don't even know if some of the Gen Zers know what a Rolodex is, but you bring those <laughs> relationships to you, to the next company. Like that's your value add, right? When Wait, yeah. we're, we're all over 35 in this call, right? <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh my God. yes, okay. we yes. are. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Well, that, that actually brings me to this this conundrum that I've been thinking about for a long time and I have no solution for, which is sort of like, you know, blue sky scenario, use one of your three genie wishes, whatever. But I think it's this, the standard sales model metrics that are sort of left over from, you know, cold calling days, like literal open up the phone book, right? It's this giant funnel. If I make 3000 calls, I get, 10% 10% of that, you know, it just winnow it down, right? Just a numbers game in terms of an alternative, you know, if you could, if you could rewrite the playbook tomorrow, what are some metrics you would look at as a, like a CRO instead of just kind of raw digits? Good question, George. That's awesome. <laughs> this is a great question and no CRO would ever agree with me on this. So, but I'm going to say it anyways. Get rid of the unrealistic freaking quotas. Get rid mm. of them. I, I, we have to have a quota because obviously we have to make money. Tell your VCs to and your investors to chill the hell out. Um, stop trying to please Wall Street. Customers don't give a shit if you're gonna if you want to double your your vendor if the vendor wants to double their revenue in the next two years. Get rid of these unrealistic quotas and the idiots that you have in charge managing the salespeople. It is literally. The middle management, I don't want to, they're not all idiots because they're s- smart people, but get rid of the, sh- the, the shoe car salesman managers. That would be my one, my first wish. Get rid mm-hmm. of all these um, older 
white dudes or middle-aged white dudes put some millennials and some younger and some minorities and some younger people in charge and you'll get a fresh take from salespeople. So get rid of current administration management, Mm -hmm. right? That would be my first wish. The second wish would tell your VCs and your investors to shut the fuck up and you will make them that money. This, This is a very unpopular opinion because that's why we're in business is to be for profit. Mm-hmm. Um, so stop worrying about the VCs and <laughs> wall street. Uh, it'll never happen, but that, that would be what my second wish. My third wish would be to actually listen to your customers, take that implement it into your sales methodologies and pitches and learn from them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, never happen. Well, I would just say, like, let's say we're going off of like activity notes. If let's just go down the garden path and get nerdy here for a second, which is, you know, uh, okay, you didn't make this number of dials, you didn't have this number of meetings. That's sort of like today. What if we're right. looking at um, you had, you know, three great meetings, and I'm looking at your notes, and I can tell that it's like an in-depth versus like you did like. 20 first meetings in a month and it was all sort of like 15 minutes sort of light on the surface phone calls and like there's nothing that i can look at in there and be like five opportunities there's it's too early right there's just like nothing yeah there to to suss out whatever uh metrics we need from that i'm just i'm trying to think Qual- of these like yeah qualitative quality metrics. over quantity yeah qualitative versus quantitative. So quality over quantity, because I've made a hundred dials in a day. And then there was days where I made two dials and I got two great meetings. And then out of the hundred, I got meetings that were bullcrap that people didn't even show up to. Yeah. They said like, yes, I'll take the meeting. <laughs> yeah. That guy, <laughs> that guy's like, yeah, I'll take that meeting. And then no shows. <laughs> there's, there's straight well, up like, sorry, go ahead, Jim. No, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. Um, I I absolutely think cold calling is dead, but that's a popular yes. opinion. No, so George and I every day, and I could probably little you know realize this. We him and I just troll each other every day, basically. Mm-hmm. And um, it's really about ridiculous stuff that we observe people doing either on LinkedIn or on social, or ridiculous headlines that come out. Or my favorite thing, the shotgun blast, cold call, cold email attempts, and like just the fuckery that certain sales organizations try to pull. They try to pull fast ones on clients. And so I yeah. just would like send it to George, but like, so like I have a dude who's emailed me almost like almost robotically every second or third day for months. Like dude, I showed him my like, inbox. It was, yeah. It was like 60 emails in like yeah. six weeks or something. It's crazy. Dude. It's not. And like, it's to the point that like, Every once in a while, I'll get like real chirpy and I'll send them back something sassy back and just more or less like leave me the fuck alone without using those terms. But for this guy, like, I'm just like, if I ever meet you in person, I might just start a fight with you, like an actual (laughs) altercation at a conference for being such a piece of shit. It's, Mm -hmm. It's just not like, I think a lot of folks in sales get so desperate and they're so bought into whatever playbook your CRO is like kind of forced down your throats. They don't realize there's other human beings on the other end of that. And you might genuinely piss them off. They're like, I'm a blue collar dude from a blue collar town. So I'm going to deal with that shit differently. I don't do this MBA <laughs> nonsense. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's the metrics that they have in place. Like my BDRs 
and like, you know, just like SDRs and BDRs there, they get paid, you know, a lot of times off of booked meetings. And then if the meeting turns into an opportunity, there's another mm-hmm. payment. That mm-hmm. is the desperation you're probably getting because yep. they, they get a base salary, but their base salaries are low. You know, salespeople have higher base salaries unless they're commission only, but it's, it is, it's the desperation and to not lose your job because they manage them in fear. They manage field and, reps in fear too. Right. And like, I don't like, well, yes. What is that going to create? It's just going to create like panic, you know, do whatever you need to, to get whatever. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's hard. We literally so, need to change it from the, the, it's a top down. It, it the whole, the whole industry has to change. And that's a whole nother level of fuckery. Like George said. <laughs> yes. Yeah. 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 So, so we do have an audience question. Um, half of it, we answered right out the gate, which is what hurdles have you had to overcome? We're not going to revisit that because that is well known and, and well uh, documented. But there's a flip side to that question, which is um, how can. Uh, how can male coworkers show better allyship, I guess, is the question. Like, I mean, I would say like your first experience, the person stood up. Right. And like did not validate that behavior. Didn't didn't try to like awkwardly sweep it under the rug was just like, no, you know. So anyway, I want to give you that space. It's I I would just love if they would stand up for you. But the problem is, is that that puts their job in jeopardy and it puts a target on their back. So I unfortunately, I understand that. But I think the you know, the way men can help be allies for us is just speak out about it, even if it's just like on a LinkedIn live or writing a post to speak out against this, these, you know, sexual harassment and, you know, just anything that violates women's rights. I'm not saying for them to be activists, but just speaking about it, I think would be good enough. Awareness. Yeah, absolutely. Um, All right. We're going to take a short break and then we are coming back for the brass tax portion of the show. Uh, because we're not just admiring the problem, we are here for the solutions. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. If you like what you hear, subscribe today to Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks and catch up on episodes you may have missed, like our interview with legendary salesman Neil Saltman. We are back and it is time to get down to brass tacks. So, uh, Erica, my turn. What would be your number one tip to a brand new SDR? And I'm going to ask it in two ways. If you had to say, whatever you do, do this. What is that? And then whatever you do, don't do this. So what is the positive and the negative that you would give to a new brand new SDR day one? Learn your product. And Boom. know what you're selling. Okay. <laughs> okay. What's the what's the number one thing you would say do not do? Don't piss off your field reps. And Bingo. I there's there's a there's a lot of argument around there. Do not fuck with your field reps. I mean, if they're being assholes, of course, you know, don't stand for that. Don't take their mm-hmm. shit, but stand up for yourself. But also, don't be don't be ignorant to them. Mm-hmm. Cool. Like they, like they annoy you because we, we will annoy you, but don't, don't let them push you around, but also don't be a dick to them. 
Yeah, I, I have to I have to agree with that. I mean, kind of like when I started thinking of like brass tacks on this particular conversation, it really comes down to me, um, down to integrity and respect. Integrity and respect yeah. should really drive any sales to CISO or CISO to sales conversation. Even if there's no actual business interest in the product or services in question, you have to be able to sit down, whether it's like a two minute call or a three hour dinner. If there's no integrity and respect, you don't belong there. Right. Neither do they. Correct. I agree with you on that one. Yep. Yeah. And again, I'll say it again. Don't let your, your field reps put your, push you around. Cause we will respect you for standing up to us. If we're being assholes, call us out on it, but don't, don't start it on a negative foot with us. Mm-hmm. Do, do you have any like particular war stories where that has happened? I always feel like the SDR is kind of in a defensive crouch, but. No, I've never really had an SDR or a BDR who is kind of like a jerk, but I will say I've had tons of BDRs that have set bogus meetings for me, but that is because they do that based mm-hmm. off the metrics that are put in front of them. So I don't blame them for that. So no, I've never really had a problem with the BDR or SDR. I love them. I actually give them gift cards and try to like motivate them to like get me a real appointments. Like my current BDR I give him gift cards. Like if he does a good job, I'll be like, here's a $25 gift card or like a $50 gift card. When you say a bogus meeting, is that because you know, just from looking at the notes, like, dude, this title yes. is not a thing. Or like they have a Gmail. Okay. Like yeah. don't take a me- Don't set a meeting with George Sloan at gmail.com. Just like mm-hmm. they have to have a company email. And a lot of the times it's because they're fresh out of college. It's their first mm-hmm. job. They don't know what they're doing. So they've set these meetings and they're really excited. And I hate telling them and bursting their bubble. But that is also a sales management company problem. The companies need to, you know, they need to set better metrics and make it not easy, but not so desperate for them. I love SDRs and BDRs. Y'all are my lifeline. Yeah, yeah. I have, I have a an opportunity for you to provide some brass tacks on this. I'm going to throw a statement out and let me know what you think of this. So I'm saying this as a CISO who deals with new salespeople on a weekly basis. And I work for a dating app company, right? The business world is not your singles club, right? So telling everyone who listens, please, this is not where you come to pick up while you're in business. I think a lot of folks, and it's not just men on this one, need to remind themselves what platonic friendship looks like and how it's supposed to be. What are your thoughts on that? Okay, so I do think it's possible to be to have a platonic relationship that has started or, or friendship that has started from business. I have a lot of guy friends in this industry, and the way that I've managed it is I meet their wife or their girlfriend. Now, if they're single, I talk about my boyfriend or like if I'm in a relationship, mm-hmm. and if yep. they cross the line, I will check the shit out of them. They will get checked. And a lot of girls won't do that because they're like, they don't want to like ruin the chance that they might sell something. I literally will call them out on it. It is possible whether he has it a different agenda or not. That's his problem. That's not mine. I've made mm. it known. I will tell him one time or warn him once. And if it happen- happens again, we will not be friends because you, then you're just being friends to have sex with me. Do you think it's, it's good then to boundary set at the very start of that friendship? Or do you wait until someone crosses the line? I boundary set from day one. See, I'm very good at making it known that I am loyal and in a relationship, whether they want to hear it or not. Sometimes people have told me like, I didn't even ask you if you were single or not. And I'm like, I'm just putting it out there. 
I will set those boundaries yeah. because yeah. I I will not uh, let let my career be ruined from somebody that just wants to get dirty with me. Absolutely not. Yeah, and I feel like it's it's fairly easy and reasonable as a human being to just be like, oh yeah. So like on Saturday I went to the, you know, this thing with my wife, well, there's the signal flare. Are you paying attention? <laughs> it's like, there yes. it is. And, and it's uh, easy. It is easy to plug yeah. it. Like, Hey, me and my boyfriend, like we're going to Vegas for the Olympia in uh, a uh -huh. week and a half. Fucking right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. And that's our Christmas gift to each other. Cause we're just like <laughs> that. But I, I talk about stuff like that in my mm -hmm. personal life. That's not inappropriate. So they know yeah. from day one. Yeah. And so, you know, if they start to cross the line, that just willfully ignoring that signal flare. I mean, it was it was out there, you know, it was pretty as clear as day. Yeah, just get that get that out there. I will say I will say I do it defensively. Like I, I don't y'all can't see on video, but they can. I don't wear a wedding ring because my wedding ring is this tattoo. But I actually, you know, I will say like, you know, my wife, the kids, and I, and I'm trying to do that proactively so that no one thinks that I'm on the prowl. I've just started doing yeah. it like defensively. Like I'm not you almost here. have to, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you almost have to. Well, and like, I have a CISO dinner coming up this, this Thursday and I've told every CISO bring your significant other. If you have one or your partner, whatever mm. your partner, significant other, you can have a plus one. So they, yeah. they know that it's not anything shady. Mm -hmm. And if their wife happens to be scrolling through their phone and looking at their emails, cause she's jealous because he's a cheater. She <laughs> sees that I'm not trying to steal her husband because there is a, le a level of fuckery that goes around in this industry and in every industry. Cause people are bogus. People do not value relationships anymore. Sorry, but they don't. I cover my ass all the there time. CYA. Yeah. But yes, George, to answer your question, it is possible, but not everybody. A lot of people have motives. <laughs> you just have to find it out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And uh, my other brass tack is I think it's self-evident, but well, obviously we got to say it anyway, is, you know, to all the men in the room, push back, push back hard and uh, call it out when you see it, because it's awful. And as the father of a daughter, uh, I want a better world for her when she enters the workforce. Um, yeah. So you just got to call it out. Yeah. And I would say guys, if there's like r females in this industry that are being inappropriate, call it out because they will not stop if they're, you know, they're going to try to hook somebody, whether they are looking for money or just, they want to, you know, have fun on the side. If somebody's harassing you, please tell that female to stop or there will be legal action or whatever recourse. Mm. So it's not just the men. Cause sometimes there's women that cross that line too. Let's just be real. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I'm not gonna lie to you, man. Like as a, as a CISO, like I deal with that shit way more than I thought I would ever have to. And like, mm -hmm. it just makes no sense to me at all. Cause like, I don't know. I feel like I'm a weird looking nerdy dude. I'm pretty aggressive. You know, <laughs> <laughs> like, like I, I fight, right? So like I've always have a shiner. Or I got something fucked up in my face or something like that. So when you like realize that like someone's taking that interaction from friendly to like trying to kind of push an angle, um, I have no no clue what it's like to be a woman in those situations. But it's like one of those rare times where you kind of feel like 
you know, oh, okay, so this is what it's like when you don't want that drink bought for you. Right? Yeah. It's a weird thing, man. Like, you don't want that in your life. Well, and especially <laughs> the type of company that you work for, I feel like they automatically assume that you're like, um, you know, somebody who steps out of your relationship or whatever. Dude, if you look on my socials, man, it's like there's pictures of her and I all over the thing. Like, and like she, she comes in there, she knows what I'm doing. She's part of my life. Like, it's just, that's not yeah. how we roll. Yeah. It's basic yeah. OSCAP, yeah, they, guys. <laughs> it's There's assumptions made off of what people do. You know what I'm saying? Like people, I, I'm a bodybuilder. I have bodybuilding pictures. People might assume that um, a certain way based off of wearing like a short dress or something. So mm. I get it. But being like, especially the company you work for or the type of company you work for, I could see how that would put you in a weird, awkward position at times. I, I you know what, George, I just saw the perfect tagline for this entire episode. Don't shit where you eat. Yes. <laughs> Don't shit where you eat. That's this entire episode that. in the sentence, man. All right. Ah, I always tell people that. Don't shit where you eat. Don't screw your yeah. coworkers. <laughs> cool well erica eakins this has been a blast i feel like we could record for two more hours but it's getting late on the east coast this has just been it's been shocking it has been illuminating uh but it's just been a blast thank you so much for the time yeah i was really excited to come on guys uh i think you guys are both great i love what you're doing and if you guys have any questions or need advice feel free to reach out same with the audience I want to go lift with you if we're ever at a conference together. But yes, thank uh, you for 100%. your time. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Yes, let's do it. I'm <laughs> let's down. Do it.